Well, good evening. Good to see all of you here and those of you that are joining us over live stream tonight. We finish up the book of James tonight. James chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. Next week, we start a new series looking at the one other letter in the New Testament that was written by one of Jesus' brothers, and that would be the book of Jude. And we'll be in the book of Jude for four Wednesdays starting next week. So we hope you'll come back and join us for that fascinating study. Tonight, before we get into verses 13 through 20 tonight, I want to mention this. Last week, James was speaking to those that were under pressure, under persecution, in a hard spot, and he said, be patient. The Lord is coming, and when he comes, he's going to set everything right. And from verse 7 through verse 12, the word patience or a form of the word patience is used seven times. Very interestingly, tonight in the passage before us, verses 13 through 20 of James chapter 5, the word prayer is mentioned seven times. One of the things that James wants to encourage Christians with in this final passage, in his final words to us here, is that Christians are never at a loss. It's not like anything or something happens to us, and as a Christian, we got nothing, as the world would say. We can always stay connected to God, no matter what. And what James is going to remind us of here in these verses is that we need to continually stay connected to the presence of God, stay connected to the power of God, and stay connected to the people of God. And we must do that at all times. Think of what Jesus said in John 15, abide in me, remain in me. We should never disconnect ourselves from God. And if we don't, then we will have his continual presence, his continual power. And by the way, if we're connected to God, that means we're going to be connected to his people. Because remember something. The people of God are called many things in the Bible, but one of the things that we are called as the people of God is the body of Christ. How can you be connected to God if you're disconnected from his body? Now, what I want you to see tonight, because I'm not going to necessarily take time to say, well, you all can figure this out for yourself, and I, I hope you study this passage on your own anyway, because it's rich. But what you're going to see tonight is James, through obviously the, the Spirit, masterfully intertwine staying connected to the presence of God, the power of God, and the people of God, and how they all connect together in each of these areas. And what, again, I want us, bottom line, to take away from this 
is that no matter what we go through, and again, the context is be patient, the Lord is coming, but it's not going to be easy times we're living in, that you and I are never at a loss. We can always stay connected to the presence of God. We can always stay connected to the power of God. And we can always stay connected to the people of God. And when we do that, we're doing exactly what we need to do in each and every situation that we find ourselves in. So notice how he starts it out. Is anyone among you suffering, experiencing painful hardship? Guess what? Then pray. We can always pray. We can always turn to God and look to God and face God and take our problems to God and take our burdens to God and ask for wisdom with God. I mean, pray. Anytime we're experiencing any kind of hardship or difficulty, pray. Pray, James says. Notice he starts out by saying, live in constant communion with God. Don't ever disconnect yourself. Then he says, is anyone in good spirits, in a cheerful mood? Then sing praises. Celebrate God in song. And as I said at the very beginning, I like to think of praise as our spiritual health and well-being made audible. Why is praise so important? Because praise restores our focus upon God. We can get our focus off of God. When we praise and worship God, our focus hopefully is restored back to God. And then through praise, we make room for God. That's why worship is so important. We're saying, God, we're inviting you in. Right here. We're making room. And when we make room for God, we are making room for his presence, his peace, his power, his provision, his protection, his possibilities. And as I've said before, with God, nothing is impossible. With him, it's him possible. And through praise and worship, we make room for all that. That's why James is saying, Realize that even the good spirit that you're in comes from God. God enables his people to enjoy life and to be content and, and, to, exp and, and to, to enjoy even the little things, to not let the little blessings of life and, and, and you know, God's smiles and hugs and all of that throughout the day to, to get away from us, but that, that we pause even if it's just for a few seconds and say, thank you, God. Thank you for that beautiful sunrise. Thank you for that beautiful sunset. Thank you for that, that beautiful picture in nature. Thank you for the animal that I saw flying through the air that you made, God, that had a five-foot wingspan on it. Thank you for all the colors that you put in its wings and all of that. I mean, again, it, it's stopping to refocus upon God and the God behind it all. So he's saying here at the very beginning, this is how we stay connected to the presence of God. We do so through prayer and we do so through praise. Then verse 14, is anyone among you ill? And, and what I want to say at this point is, James here in this passage 
is reminding us of something. When he talks about sickness and illness, he's not just talking about it in the physical realm. He is reminding us that physical suffering also can be tied to spiritual suffering and that when we're one or the other, they're tied together because that's sort of the way God created us. We can't compartmentalize the physical from the spiritual. So that's why even in this passage, the word that is chosen here, ill, speaks about being weak and without strength. And it doesn't necessarily always apply to someone who's physically ill. It could, but it also applies in the Bible to those who are spiritually dejected, discouraged, or, or just running out of, you know, spiritual energy and umph, and they just need to have their spirit restored as much as someone who would be physically ailing needs to have their physical body restored. So I, I want you to understand where James is coming from and, and, and get a bigger umbrella, if you will, over it, rather than just applying what James is saying to physical health. But notice he says, anyone, anyone, doesn't matter. You're ill, then besides praying yourself in verse 13, guess what? Reach out to the leaders of your church and ask them to come and pray over you if you have a spiritual or physical need that is an ongoing thing, that, that is something that you feel like it, it has now reached the level that I need to call for the leaders of the church. And again, why is that important? Well, is that not then reminding us we need to stay connected to the people of God? Because how could I ask the spiritual leaders of my church to come if I'm not really connected to a church and even know who my spiritual leaders are? And also it reminds me that I'm also staying connected to the Lord and his presence because he's actually leading me by his spirit to reach out to my spiritual leaders and do that. And again, what you're going to see in this passage, even though James does not mention the Spirit, is that all of this is really being worked on by the Spirit. He's the one leading and guiding in all of this. Don't ever be ashamed or hesitate to call on your spiritual leaders to come and pray over you if you have a need. That's what we're supposed to do. And notice, it is not the spiritual leader's responsibility to come looking for you and run you down and chase you down. No, James says, if you're ill, you have the responsibility of reaching out to your spiritual leaders and asking them to come and to pray over you. And it doesn't stop with prayer. He says, and also, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Lay your hands upon this person and use oil symbolic of the Holy Spirit, reminding again them that he is in our midst and that he is present and he is powerful to heal. And then, in the name of the Lord. And we talked about that as well on Sunday, where Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, but in the name of the Lord, 
Rise up and walk. In the name of the Lord. There is power in the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is significant because it embodies everything that God has revealed himself to be to us. It is his identity wrapped up in his name. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing a series where we're going to be looking at the I am's that Jesus shared. And we're even going to go back here with Moses and look at the burning bush and see that God said, tell them I am. God is revealing his identity. And there is power in the name of the Lord. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And we've got to talk about this for a moment. Because I know like you, many of you would be saying, well, now, wait a minute. Is this just like everybody is, that gets prayed for is going to be healed no matter what? No. And we know that's not biblical. We know that Paul prayed for the thorn in the flesh, and God said, nope. We know that Paul, who had the gift of healing, said, I left Trophimus back in Miletus still sick because God didn't heal him. So we know that God doesn't heal everyone that we pray for. So what's the prayer of faith? That's important in order to interpret what James is saying here. Remember, faith is always our response to God's revelation. That's what faith is. That's what makes faith different than belief. Faith is always our response to God's revelation. So the prayer of faith is when God has revealed to someone, to these leaders, I'm going to restore them. I'm going to heal them, so I want you to pray along those lines. That's what differentiates what James is talking about here compared to most of the time when we're praying for somebody. We've, it's not been revealed to us by God how things are going to go. So a lot of times, you and I, when we're praying, we sort of end our prayer with God, whatever your will is, because you have not revealed your will in this case. The prayer of faith is different. The prayer of faith is when you and I have heard from the Lord, no, 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 this one I'm, I'm going to raise up. And I can tell you from personal experience, there have been times throughout my pastoral ministry where I have had God reveal that to me, where I have went into a situation that a, a person was facing a, a dire situation, either spiritually or physically, and I received revelation from God that God was going to raise them up in some way, and that this was not the end, if you will, for that person, or this was not going to define the rest of their life. And so I was able to go into that situation trusting God that I could pray to that end and not even have to pray, 
God, whatever your will is, because I knew based upon, again, the spirit working and staying connected to the presence of God, what his will was at that moment. And the Bible says, the prayer of faith will deliver or save the one who is sick. By the way, that word sick there doesn't necessarily mean physically sick. In fact, literally, it means one who is weak. Can refer to physical, but it also can refer to spiritual. God heals spiritually as well as physically. And the Lord will raise him or restore him up. And you even see this tied together when then James adds, oh, and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. So even James ties the spiritual and physical together. Even if you say, well, the first part to me speaks more to the physical, then James is bringing the spiritual in saying, oh, but there may be sins that need to be forgiven. God's going to heal that as well and forgive that. God's going to do the total package, if you will, the total reset, the total restoration. Why? Because, again, the physical and spiritual are all tied together. I want to just stop at this moment, though, again, and remind us all, the dynamic of what's happening here, the prayer and all of that, all has to go back to a, an individual or a group of individuals who are staying connected to God who are staying connected to his presence, to his power, and to his people, because now the people are ministering to each other as God is leading them to. And if you and I aren't staying connected to, the, to God, then we're not getting the direction and guidance we need as to how we are to exactly minister to one another. And by the way, if we're not, in a sense, family with each other, we're not even going to allow each other to do this. It, How many people in local churches would not dare ask their spiritual leaders to come and pray over them? They would not feel comfortable doing that. Maybe they don't even know who they are. See, that, that's why it's so important that we truly get connected to each other, like family, because that's the only way that the things that James is talking about can happen. And that's why James is saying, we're never a lot. We can always stay connected to God's presence, to his power, and to his people. So we're never at a loss, no matter how hard the things are that we're going through. Then notice verse 16. So confess your sins to one another. Acknowledge to one another something that you've done where you wronged another brother or sister in Christ. Now, please, a couple things. One, notice there's no confession to any priest or anyone else, it's confessed to one another. And that is only when you and that person that there's been an offense between the two of you. It's not get up in church and announce what you've done wrong to everybody in the church. No. It's if you've done something to hurt somebody else, you confess it, you acknowledge it. Why? Because we need to... Stay connected together. And one of the ways we stay connected together is by humbling ourselves before each other and by even creating an environment where grace free flows in our fellowship. The grace of not only admitting I've done something wrong, but the grace of forgiving and moving on and receiving it. 
It, it is creating an environment of grace. The only way that can happen, folks, is when you and I stay connected to the presence of God, the power of God, that we can do the people of God the right way. Grace flowing freely to each other. And then he says, oh, and pray for one another. We're more likely to pray for one another where we're in fellowship with each other and where there's nothing coming between us. And we're more likely to obviously pray for one another when we're connected close enough to each other to even know how and what to pray for. How can we, again, as the body of Christ, even carry this out if we're not staying connected to each other? I don't know what to pray for for you. You don't know what to pray for for me if we're not in relationship to each other. And then I'm certainly not going to be in relationship with somebody to the point where if I wrong them, I feel like I've got to go back and make that right somehow. But when grace is flowing and we're staying connected to the presence of God, God's going to remind us of those things. And God's going to say, hey, you need, to, you need to go back and make that right so that we can all come together and pray for one another. Notice, so that you may be healed, made whole. It's more than just, again, physical healing. It, it's the idea of oneness and, and being whole because that's the way God wants the people, his people, to be whole, not fractured, whole. Then he goes into Elijah, and he says, back to prayer, the prayer of a righteous person, one living in alignment with God, has great effectiveness. It's a great word. It means the power to prevail. Why? Because God is able. God is able. We sung about that God tonight. How great thou art, the God of miracles. It is all about God, staying connected to his power through praise, through prayer. Staying connected to his presence through praise, through prayer. And using then the presence of God and the power of God to spill over into how we relate to each other as the people of God coming together to confess our sins, to pray for one another, to pray over one another, to anoint each other with oil. And he's saying, never feel like you're at a loss because prayer is powerful. Prayer is literally holding the power of God in our hands. And James is saying, why are we not using prayer to move things and to move the hand of God. And so he gives us an example from Scripture. And notice what he emphasizes. Elijah, by the way, I love Elijah's name. It means the strength of Jehovah. Again, going back to what? Staying connected to the power of God. Elijah was a human being like us. Why is he uh, emphasizing the humanity of Elijah? Because so often, even we as Christians go, well, 
You know, that Elijah, he was this great Bible character, and somehow he didn't put his pants on one leg at a time. You know, so, somehow he was different than me. No, James is saying that won't fly. James was just as human as you and I are. But even though he was a very ordinary man, he prayed an audacious prayer. What was it? He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and there was no rain on the land for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land sprouted with the harvest. Elijah made a place for prayer in his life. That's what it means when it says he prayed earnestly. It literally means he prayed with prayer. He always made room for prayer in his life. Why is that important? Because through prayer, we stay connected to God's presence and to his power. That's why. Now, let me say a couple things about the prayer of Elijah. It is tied in with even the prayer of faith in verse 15. Why did Elijah even pray that it wouldn't rain on the land for three and a half years? Or then after a certain amount of time, why did he pray that the rain would come back? Because God revealed that to him. It was through faith. And remember something, isn't it interesting that James has been big on faith? Faith without works is dead, and faith works, and faith expresses itself. And even in this, though he's not mentioned the word faith, you see it dynamically expressed throughout this passage. Because how can one pray without faith? How can one praise without faith? How can one anoint one with oil without faith? How can one confess sins to one another without faith and pray for one another? How can one pray a prayer like Elijah did without faith? You can't. The reason why Elijah prayed the prayers he did, if you go back and look at it, is because God said, this is what I want. So Elijah was confident, but he still had to trust that God would do what God said he would do. Again, his faith was responding to what God had revealed to him. God said, these people are not worthy of my blessing. I want to shut up the heavens for three and a half years what Elijah prayed. But notice something else about Elijah's prayer that I think is key. Elijah didn't pray for the judgment upon God's enemies or even the judgment upon God's people at this point. He didn't pray for something personally, you know, make me this, make me that, give me this, give me that. Elijah prayed for the glory and power of God to be revealed. That's what verse 17 and 18 is all about, because if you go back and Study, and by the way, we're going to be doing a series on Elijah right after Jude on Wednesday night. Elijah was sent by God to the nation of Israel to try to restore proper worship in Israel because Israel had become an idolatrous nation. Israel was worshiping false gods. And so Elijah is praying God Come down with your glory and your power and show these people who you are so that they will worship you and stop following these false gods. I personally think that if we prayed 
for the glory and power of God to be revealed like Elijah did, that we would see God move more. Because that's a prayer of faith, you see. And it's all about God working with his people to bring his people back to him, staying connected to the people of God. And that's why so many people, when they come into verses 19 and 20, go, what in the world was James thinking? And why does he end this letter with these verses? Well, again, because... This is a ministry that you and I are called to, we're going to see in just a moment. We are to be our brother's keeper. But the only way you and I could ever practice verse 19 and 20 is not, again, only by staying connected to the presence of God, but by staying connected to the people of God. So he says, my brothers and sisters, so he's clear here, he's talking to Christians. He's not talking to non-believers. He says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. Let's stop there. The word wander means to go astray. It's the word where we get our word planet from, because back in the ancient times, all they saw was these planets just kept spinning around. That's a good picture, right? He says, if anyone among you the body of Christ, goes astray from the truth. That means that not only should the church be an environment where grace flows freely so that we'll be willing to confess our sins and pray for one another, but the church should be an environment where the truth flows freely. Because notice, it is a departure from truth that gets us all into trouble. And I hope you'll keep that in mind next week when we go into the book of Jude, because that's exactly where Jude starts out. That the church struggles to keep the truth. And that we literally as Christians have to fight to keep the truth of God, even in the church. And James is saying the same thing. He's basically saying, he's connecting, wandering from the truth with being in a bad place. Because Jesus even said, it is only knowing the truth that sets a person free. And if you and I walk away from truth, then we'll never be free apart from God's truth. That's why, actually, out of love, we've got to keep and maintain truth. Grace Grace, but also truth. And isn't it interesting that when John described Jesus Christ in his gospel, he said Jesus Christ is full of grace and what? Truth. There's a balance there. Grace, but truth. And he says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, now, notice something else. That means this ministry, if you will, in the body is not just something that's reserved for the pastor, not just something reserved for spiritual leaders. It is anyone 
We are all responsible. Why? Because you may know somebody that's wandering from the truth that I don't even know about. But that's why it is important that we stay connected to one another because how would I even know how someone's doing spiritually if I don't really know them? Now, I realize two, two things are happening here. That also means the person has let you in somehow. And, and as we go on, that also means that there's a relationship there where that person trusts you to now be entering their life through the leading of the Holy Spirit, because I think that's exactly who's behind this. I don't think this passage is giving us a carte blanche to just say any Christian that we know that we think's in trouble, we just barge right into their life and start speaking truth to them. No, 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 no. I think it has to be something where we are guided and led and directed by the Holy Spirit, but it does say every one of us is to be looking out for one another in that respect. Why? Because it says in verse 20, he should know whoever turns them back around and tells them what they needed to hear, not what maybe they wanted to hear. So it might be a tough conversation. Turns a sinner back from his wandering path will have saved that person's soul from death. That doesn't mean they were losing their salvation. Remember, our soul is who God created us to be. And so James is just simply reminding us, if they stayed on the path that wasn't true, then they were never going to discover who God created them to be or express in their life who God created them to be, and that's death. That's being separated from the soul that God created them to be. And then it says, also, you will help cover or supply a cover for a multitude of sin. Now, bottom line here, too, James is not saying we save anybody. He's not saying that you and I cover sin. Only God can save, and only God can restore, and only God can reconcile, and only God can forgive sin, in a sense. But he's saying, but God wants to use us as his instruments of reconciliation and restoration in his body so that if somebody starts to wander from the truth and you and I know it and the Spirit lays it upon our hearts to go after that person because we've stayed connected to the presence of God and the power of God, and we know that we're nothing, but God's power and presence are going to be with us in this meeting and in this conversation, and we're going to trust by faith that God's going to use whatever we say and whatever we do in that moment to turn them and bring them back to the truth so that they can begin to spiritually be blessed by God and prosper again. And so that they will then be back on the path where they can truly discover who God created them to be and live it out. And all those sins that maybe started to pile up and the ones that would have come even more after had they stayed on the path that was away from the truth, there's a covering for that now. Instead of getting up in front of everybody and telling everybody, oh, man, let me tell you the last couple of months what so-and-so did. No, no, no. No, the person who's led by the Lord to do this ministry of reconciliation doesn't speak about it to anybody at all. 
because God's already forgiven it, thrown it into the sea, as we talked about, and removed it as far as the east is from the west, so we don't bring it up either. Our ministry is also a ministry of covering over what others have done. Why? Because by them turning back, that means they repented. And just like the prodigal, when he came back to the father, the father didn't, you know, rub his nose and all that he had done wrong up to that point. The father just welcomed him back and celebrated and said, son, I'm just so glad you're back. Now, to show you real quickly before we close tonight, basically what verses 19 and 20 look like in another context, go over to the book of 2 Corinthians with me to chapter 5 and look at just verses 18 through 20, and then we'll close in prayer here. As you're turning there, 2 Corinthians 5, beginning at verse 18, let me again remind us, this passage was all about Christians never being at a loss in our life. We can always pray, we can always praise, we can always stay connected to the presence of God. We can always stay connected to the power of God. And we should always stay connected to the people of God. Therefore, we should never feel alone. We should never be at a loss, no matter what. So Paul writes, verse 18, 2 Corinthians 5, And all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And now notice, who has given us the ministry of reconciliation or restoration, bringing people either into the body of Christ or, as James talks about, bringing people back into right alignment with God. That's what reconciliation is. In other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting people's trespasses against them, and he has given us the message of reconciliation. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his plea through us. Wow. Isn't it amazing that God trusts us with that? We plead with you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's exactly what James is talking about. Now, in the context of Christians, but it's still reconciliation. It's bringing somebody back who's wandered off the right path. Reconciliation is setting things right again. It is restoring. And I want us to realize tonight, that's why, as your pastor, I harp and harp and harp and even through the pandemic, just keep encouraging people to come to church and stay connected with each other. Because I, I would submit to you, how in the world can we as Christians do what James is telling us we need to do as brothers and sisters in Christ if we don't stay connected to each other? How in the world are we going to pray for one another if we don't even know what to pray for? How would we even feel comfortable going up to another Christian and asking them to pray if we don't know somebody that well? How are we ever going to ask 
our spiritual leaders in our church to come at maybe some point in our life and to pray over us and anoint us with oil if we don't even know who those leaders are or don't feel comfortable doing it. How in the world are we ever going to feel like God could use us to turn a Christian back on the path of truth if we don't even have a relationship with that person? Because let's face it, what James is talking about in verse 19 and 20, it takes probably some trust and some kind of background involved with each other to be able to do that instead of just going in cold turkey. Because let's also face it, would I even really care? If I don't know that Christian that well, and I maybe hear like, oh, they've wandered away from God or wandered away from the church or the truth or whatever, do I even feel stirred in my spirit to even start praying, God, do you want me to be the one to maybe go after them and try to get them turned back around again? See, it's all based on staying connected to each other the way God intended for his people to be connected to each other. So that again, whether we're going through a pandemic or whether we're going through a personal crisis or trial or whatever it is in our life that James has already talked to us about, we are so encouraged by this. We're never at a loss as God's people. can always pray. We can always praise. We can always be with each other and gain strength and support and encouragement from each other. What a great way, I think, to end this great letter. Let's pray. God, thank you for not only bringing us into fellowship with you by reconciling us to yourself through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, but also bringing us into a new family, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, how can we say that we are connected to you if we're disconnected from your body, the church? So God, I pray tonight that there would be a a level of encouragement through this message tonight, but also a, a level of sort of challenge to each of us to recognize our responsibility as those who by God himself have been given a ministry of reconciliation both to the unsaved and to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that if we are so led, we are to go in obedience and seeking to turn people back to God. Because, God, you are calling people back to yourself continually. That's what you want your church to be, a place that calls people back to you. Because, God, you understand that that's really the only place for us to find ourselves. Any place outside of you is not a good place. And so, God, I pray tonight that all of us would find ourselves within you and that, God, we would realize that we need to just make it a priority in our life even more in the days in which we live 
to stay connected to your presence, stay connected to your power, and stay connected to your people. God, would you bless our time together tonight and take us home safely. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless. We'll see you next week.